If you'll turn in your Bibles to the epistle of the Hebrews chapter 4, starting with verse 12. The last uh, couple of messages, we've been dealing with a warning that the writer of Hebrews has been giving us. The writer, by his own admission, has written this book primarily for exhortation to exhort us, to encourage us to move on in the faith. But interspersed throughout that letter of exhortation, he throws in some warnings. And we've taken a look at the two messages of a warning. One is that if you hear the voice of the Lord, that you are to take immediate action. Today, if you hear his voice, you are to respond. And then the second part of the warning was that um, the consequence, if you don't pay attention to that warning, that you will miss his rest and to come into his promised land. This third part of the warning that we're going to deal with today kind of gives us the impact of God's word and how powerful it is and the consequences of it. The writer started off in Hebrews talking about that God in various forms and various ways spoke to us through the prophets. But in the latter days, he's spoken to us through his son. This last warning that we're going to take a look at, while you can say that the first, warn, the first part of the warning about taking action today, well, that applies to the unbeliever because... I've responded, therefore, I don't have to pay attention to that warning. And the second warning is, if you don't pay attention, that you won't enter his rest and say, well, I'm a believer, believe in eternal security, so I'm safe. So it kind of pass out on the warnings. This third warning, while it applies to those who are not believers, I also think that it very much applies to the believers, and if you will, especially to pastors and theologians. Why do I say that? Because it seems that pastors and theologians oftentimes will retreat from the power of the word of God. If there's something that comes in conflict with it and culture says that that ought to win, frequently pastors and theologians give up. Give you an example. Through uh, when Darwin's theory of evolution came into fruition and, and great popularity, all of a sudden now, Theologians started talking about that there was theistic evolution because science says this, and the Bible says this, and oh my goodness, we can't support the Bible. And therefore, we come up with some way to accommodate, quote unquote, science and religion. That's unfortunate. Because the power of God is through his word. He created this world and its universe by his speaking. You will hear people say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. If you've heard me for any length of time, you know that I don't believe that. I believe God said it, that settles it. I believe it. But it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. It is settled because God has spoken it. And there's all too often what we're going to do is, is to retreat from the word of God. And we'll even try to convince other people that they ought to be believers, but we give up the word of God. 
Now, I will grant you, because the scriptures grant you, that there is proof that there is a God, and you don't have to use the scriptures. The universe pours forth speech in praise of him that exists. The powers of the ocean, the majesty of the mountains, all of creation, the the birth of a little baby, the complexity of the cells, the vastness of life tells us there is a God. However, that doesn't tell us who that God is. And as the writer starts off saying, God has spoken to us. God has revealed who he is to us and how he has specifically spoken in these latter days is Jesus. And Jesus is the exact representation of the glory and the majesty of God. If you want to understand who God is, you look at Jesus. And so while we in our attempt to bring others to faith, part of your ability to witness is to know how that you don't have to start, if you will, with the scriptures to talk about that there is a God. But if you walk away and say, I'm never going to use the scriptures because they don't believe it, you just take away your weapon. Because it's the word of God that tells us who God is. And so it disturbs me when I hear pastors and others run away from the word of God. Because it is the word of God. And if you've been alive as long as I have, you've seen where science has gone. And sometimes you'll say, well, this is science. And just a few years later, they say, oops, it's something else. And then oops, again, it's something else. And oops, again, it's something else. But the word of God stands forever. And there will come a day. You will hear people say, well, God is just a God of the gaps. If you don't understand something, then you just plug in God. No, no. Science has done the opposite. They don't understand something, so they plug in science. But eventually... God will be proven true and every other man a liar. So the warning here is to us to make sure that we understand and protect the value of the word of God. So in verse 12, it says this, for the word of God is living. I want to stop there. It's going to give us a number of things that the word of God is. And it starts off with living. Now, Unfortunately, in our culture, they mess that word up. Because if you've gone to school, and if you've heard anything about our U.S. Constitution, you will hear that people will say, the Constitution is a living document. Now, what they mean by that is that it isn't moving, whatever they're saying is, is that whatever the culture decides, now the Constitution will adjust. And without trying to get too political, so for instance, they'll say, well, back in the day, they only had muskets. And so the Constitution says you could have the right to bear arms. But now that we have other types of firearms, the Constitution adapts. It's living. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. It's living. He's talking about that, number one, 
It causes life. We are dead in our sins, but when we are confronted with the word of God, it can create life in us. It is also alive in the sense that it's not a dead letter. I can read some science books. Back in the Middle Ages. And it'll talk about the earth being in the center of the universe. Other books on social science and whatever will talk about this thing or that thing. And the culture will adopt it. The word of God is living. It applies to every single culture and every single time frame. This letter to the Hebrews is as applicable today as it was when he wrote it to the Hebrew believers. It's living. It doesn't die. It doesn't have a shelf life. It is always alive and causing life by those who read it. So it is living and active. It just doesn't sit there. When you read it, it calls for a response. Now, that response might be, I don't want to do it. I don't believe in it. It's difficult. Um, it tells me that I'm supposed to forgive and I don't want to forgive. It, 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 may, it, is, it may not come with the result that we think it ought to have, but it always impacts the result. It is active. It, it causes us to reflect on our relationship with God and each other. It's active. It's one of those things where there's a little phrase that says, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. It's active. When you read it, it calls for a response to be different, to be more like Jesus. So it is living and it is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut both ways, if you will. It can cut to heal or it can cut to judge. A scalpel can be used to remove, let's say, cancer or a growth. It's used to cut out. And sometimes the word of God is there to say, you need to get this out of your life. And by getting out this out of your life, you will have a better life, maybe even a longer life but it eliminates that illness, that sickness. The word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. But it also, if you fail to respond, if you fail to have it cut those things out, then it can be used as a form of judgment. And piercing as far as in a vision of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. You see, the word of God isn't a blunt instrument. As an example, Jesus was confronted by a young man who was very wealthy. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gave him the initial, you know, you're to basically follow the commandments. And he goes, I've done all those since 
my youth, but the, the rich man knew. And he goes, but I'm still lacking something. I know my heart tells me that I'm lacking something. And Jesus, perceiving his problem, said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Now, God, Jesus didn't make that request of everyone. He makes the request of those who have something in the way of their following him. And the young man went away very sorrowful because he was very wealthy and couldn't do it. You see, those things owned him. And so the word of God can, and that is why a lot of times we don't want to read the word of God because we are confronted with exactly who we are and we don't like it. It's much better if I stand up in front of a mirror and the image I see back is a handsome Hollywood star. But that mirror would be lying to me. I might want it to tell me that, but it would be lying. When I look into the mirror, I see who I am. When you look into the word of God, you see exactly who you are. And it tells you, maybe riches is not your problem. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's not being humble. Maybe it's your zeal to succeed. Whatever it may be, the word of God confronts us with that. It's able to surgically, and it doesn't hit us with a blunt force. It says, for you, it's this problem. Solve it. For you, it's a different problem. Solve it. For the other person, it's a different problem. Solve it. It is going straight to the point. And it, as it says, it pierces as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow. So it can be used fine-tuned. It pierces. Usually a sword. There are different types of swords. It says the, the word of God is a two-edged sword, which means it's, you swing it. But there are other types of swords. The whole point is just to jab you. It's called a foil. I learned these things when I took fencing. There, there are sabers, there's foils. And, and so this two-edged sword can also be used as a foil to pierce exactly what needs so no matter how complicated the situation may be, whether it's between the soul and the spirit or both joints and marrow, it takes fine skill to cut in joints. It takes a lot of strength to cut down to the, through the bone to the marrow. So the word of God is both specific and tailored and strong. And notice all these ands. It's not, it's not just one or the other. It is living. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts one. And it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Oh, no wonder when we want to continue sinning, we don't read this word of God. Because it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Now, heaven has greater technology than we have. I don't know what that technology is. God's there. So to kind of understand heavenly technology, let's just, let's just for, so that you might understand that there is a thumb drive, hard drive on your life. But it not only shows what you did, but it shows what you thought while you're doing what you did. Now, I bet most of us, if not all of us, would spend any amount of money we could to get that thumb drive and get rid of it. But there may come a day in heaven at either the judgment seat or the Bema seat or heaven, whatever that little thumb drive is, sticks it into the computer of heaven and say, okay, we're going to watch a movie on your life. There used to be a TV show called This Is Your Life, but it usually talked about how people appreciated you and all these types of things. No, no, this is your life. Maybe we wouldn't think the things that we think. And maybe we wouldn't do the things that we do if we understand that the word of God knew exactly what we're thinking and exactly what we're doing. Because our attitude tends to be, well, I can do it because I believe in grace and God's going to forgive me. And yes, there is grace and yes, God will forgive. I still would rather not see my life in flashing in motion pictures for the whole universe to see. But the word of God can do that. It's that specific. And in case you're thinking, well, okay, but who am I? God's not going to notice me, right? You know, it's not like I'm a president or a governor or even a local council person. Notice the verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. No means no one. There is no, there is no exemption to who God doesn't know. There's no N-O exemption for what God doesn't know. K-N-O-W. He knows everyone. From Adam and Eve until the last man and woman born and die on this planet. No creature is hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him. So, your best friend may not know what you did. Your spouse may not know what you did. Your parents may not know what you did. You may even try to fool yourself and you may not know what you did. But God knows. And he's going to leave it open and laid bare to his eyes. And then it's, there's a little strange rest of the sentence says, with whom we have to do. Kind of an odd phrase. So I'll tell you what I believe that means. And before I do, it's probably one of the reasons that people don't read the word, don't want to believe in God want to do their own thing. 
because we don't want to be accountable to anybody, let alone our creator. What do you mean you're going to tell me what to do? What, you know, we don't even want to hold our politicians accountable anymore. As long as he's our R or D, then whatever he or she does, it's okay because he or she's on my team. But if that person over, we don't even hold our, we don't hold people accountable. What this is saying is that you are accountable to God. Now, you may not want to believe that. That's fine. But the word of God says you are. Because he is your creator. He is the one who gave you life, who gave you talents, who gave you abilities, who gave you what you have. And you are accountable to him for what he has given you. So if there's something God has not given you, and the answer to that question, in case you don't know, is nothing. Because every time you breathe the breath, he gave you that breath. And when you sing with the melody of the angels, he gave you that gift. When you are a physician and are able to heal people, he gave you that gift of the understanding to do that science that needs to be done to accomplish the understanding of the body. Or if you have faith to move mountains, faith has been given to you. There is nothing that you have or hope to have that hasn't been given by God. If I give you some money and say, I want you to do X with it. Then you are accountable to me for doing X with it. Because I gave you something and now you are accountable to me. So if I give you money and say, okay, I want to let you spend it on something. You, um, my grandson came up yesterday and said, Papa, I'm hot. Can I get a snow cone? Because they just advertise a snow cone. So having been around organizations a long time, I looked at my wallet and I had $2 and I had a $20 bill. And I suspected that the $2 wasn't going to be enough. But I knew $20 was going to be too much. So I told him, here's the $2. If, if it's that, pay for that and bring back the 20. If it's not enough, Here's the 20, buy the snow cone, and then bring me back. So I gave him the ability to buy something for himself, but I didn't say you can keep the 22 bucks. I said, you can have enough to buy a snow cone. The rest goes back to me. And then grandma making sure, and she goes, make sure you don't lose it. Because it's 22 bucks. God just, in essence, says, I gave you life. I gave you talents. not yours. Even we who are believers says that we have been bought with a price. We are not ours. We are his. 
So if I'm only speaking to believers at this point and say, okay, then even us, we say, okay, forget about the world. We have been bought with a price. We are accountable to God. We are to do what he says. And there is nothing that is not laid bare. So we don't have to face the great white throne judgment. Praise God. It's not going to be a pretty sight. You don't want to be there. But there is something called the Bema seat where we will be rewarded or not rewarded for what we have done in this life. As it says, some will receive for what they've done, gold, silver, precious stones, and others have done wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll be burned up. But you will be saved. We want to be the richest people in the world. Most people. We don't necessarily want to work for it. We just, you know, we may win the lottery, do one, but we want to be wealthy. We want to live in big houses. We want to do these. And those are great. And I'm not disparaging those. And Lord knows I like to live in a really big house. Um, I won't go off on that tangent, but um, right. But at best, I met with the son of a client who just passed away, and he lived to be a hundred. Libby, my wife, and and her sister uh, have an an aunt who just celebrated her hundredth birthday. Those are significant milestones because very few of us get there. So let's say you live to be a hundred and you live in the greatest house. You know, you would put Bill Gates to shame the house that you have. After you live to be about a hundred, somebody else is going to own it. So why not be the richest person in heaven? Now, the economy in heaven is a little different because we like to collect gold and silver and whatever. The streets are paved with gold. So it's a different economy. The, the scripture says that we are to send our treasures ahead. Which means you can be poor than a church mouse here and send vast untolds of wealth ahead. If we actually believed in the word of God. And while you might be lucky to live to be a hundred, God has promised us that we will dwell in his house forever. So why not be rich there? Because it never ceases. It goes on and on. Now, the poorest person in heaven is still better than the richest man in hell. It's like, it's like all of real estate. It's location, location, location. But we need to pay attention to the word of God. And we need to make sure that we don't tolerate 
pastors and theologians who say, well, you know, yeah, the word of God, but, but you know, no, no. Once you start retreating on the word of God, there'll be no end to the retreat. And to use a earthly example, the greatest danger an army faces is when it turns its back and runs. That's where more soldiers die. So maybe in the spiritual battle, it is better to take our stand, as the word says, to put on the full armor of God, and to stand firm than it is to retreat and retreat and retreat. And I would rather, and I know I will never say this, but I would rather say, God, I died because I believed you and maybe you didn't make it right, than to say, God, if I'd have believed you, maybe I'd have stood but because I didn't have faith or I didn't read or I didn't whatever, I decided to retreat. We sang that the battle belongs to the Lord. If it does, stand and fight. Stand and fight for his word. Stand and fight for him. Stand and fight for your faith. Word of God, speak. Speak to me. Speak to others. And I understand fully, and you need to also understand, that we can come up with the most creative and most convincing arguments to why people ought to believe. But until they hear his voice, it just doesn't matter. So we need to be ready to give an account to those things that we believe, but to understand that we came to faith because we heard his voice and that we need to tell others and not be surprised when they don't believe, but to seek God to speak to them. And after God speaks to them, that they might, as the first warning says, Respond today. Word of God speak. We need to hear. The awesome thing is, as the writer started, God spoke to the prophets in many ways and in many portions, whether it be through dreams or personal contact or visions. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, Jesus. It tells us of a God that so loved us that he gave his son for us. You won't know that thinking about it, but you'll understand it in the word of God. And all God's people said,